0: Hello, and welcome to Clockspinning, the podcast of Magic's history, as told card by card. I'm Austin, and with me, as always, is Connor, my co-host. How are you today, Connor?
1: You know, I'm uh, I'm doing all right. I'm a little uh, little congested right now, as I'm sure you can hear. But uh, happily, that, that won't be true for
0: most of today's episode. <laughs> Bear with us for a little bit of a uh, head cold here. We promise it, it won't be through the whole episode. Yeah, so on today's episode, we are continuing our review of Betrayers of Kamigawa. We're tackling the rest of the white cards today, so that's another uh, 15 cards. Uh, If you're new to the show, uh, feel free to keep listening, or if you want to kind of pick up from the start of our Betrayers uh, of Kamigawa review, just jump back to the previous episode uh, and start there, and we'll introduce uh, the set. We'll talk a little bit about what portrayers of kamigawa is how it fits into kamigawa block how it fits into the broader picture of magic uh we'll also talk about the impab rating system we use to rate and review each of the cards um and then you know from there just pick it up and and listen to this sweet review goodness
1: absolutely uh so without further ado should we get things going with a moonlit strider Next up, we have Moonlit Strider. Three and a white mana for a 1-4 spirit. Sacrifice Moonlit Strider, target creature you control, gains protection from the color of your choice until end of turn, and it has soul shift three. Ugh. Four mana, 1-4 that you could sacrifice to give a creature protection from a color. I mean, soul shift here is nice, I guess, but a four mana, 1-4 just is not doing anything for me, and As we've discussed in the past, uh, giving protection from one color for one turn uh, is just such a small payoff on a body like this. See, I actually kind of like
0: this thing. Maybe I was just feeling generous after mending hands, but I made a little list of things I like about this card, which are one, it's got a sort of kind of okay combat ability. I I think I rate protection higher than you. Two, it's got soul shift. Three, he's just dummy thick with this one four body. And three, it's got this... Four, it's got this pretty cool brain art by
1: John Avon. I really like the art here. I mean, eh? The, the, eh? The, art's, the art's okay. I mean, it, it, it's sort of this floating brain. The art's with... okay. The art looks like something... <laughs> uh, it looks like an Eldrazi almost. It's super Eldrazi-ish.
0: I love the foreground too. It's like a, it's like a beautiful... It's like, kind of like something from Nausicaa, the whole thing. Huh. Like, look at the foreground with all these kind of weird flower fungus kind of things going on?
1: Yeah. I don't know. It's it's the kind of art that just doesn't stick with me at all. I guess because because the kami is so sort of shapeless and there's not really any defining characteristic like I can pick out here. I feel like it just, you know, this could be this could be an instant or sorcery. This could be an enchantment. This could be all kinds of creature types like there's nothing about it that really is memorable to me.
0: Yeah, it's true that one of the things that does work in a lot of Kamigawa cards is that like the name, the art, the flavor and the mechanics all kind of get tied together really nicely. For this one, it's kind of like this name could exist in any set. This art could kind of exist in a lot of sets and the mm-hmm. effect is like kind of bland.
1: Yeah, it's just nothing mm-hmm. nothing to excite me here. And a four mana one four is definitely not going to excite me. All right, let's just cut it. Okay, get it out.
0: All right, let's go to Opal Eye, Conda's Yojimbo. One white-white for a 1-4 Legendary Fox Samurai. Bushido one, Defender. Tap. The next time a source of your choice would deal damage this turn, that damage is dealt to Opal Eye instead. One white, prevent the next one damage that would be dealt to Opal Eye this turn. Oof! Um, A lot going on there in terms of rules. Also a lot going on here in terms of mechanical design and history. Um, Believe it or not, this is actually the first appearance of the defender mechanic in the history of magic. Now, of course, this isn't the first appearance of creatures that can't attack. That goes all the way back to alpha. But for the first 10 years of the game, that was dealt with by a sort of weird mechanic where any creature that had the wall creature type had a special rule attached to it that said it couldn't attack, um, which is very similar to how in this set, they also undid the rules baggage of legendary creatures, just being creatures with the type legend and special rules. Um, Similarly, they got rid of the special walls rules and they just gave it a keyworded ability defender, um, which sounds like the obvious step today, but I think it represents a pretty major step forward um, in the design of magic in terms of recognizing the larger patterns of magic card design and sort of thinking about the tools of like type and super type and subtype in a more intentional way. And it's an example where Kamigawa may not have gone down in the history of magic for a lot of players as in the way Mirrodin or Ravnica did its surrounding sets in terms of power and impact. But in terms of design innovation, I think it stands up there with Ravnica and Mirrodin for really pushing the game forward and coming up with a lot of new ideas that Wizards really Continued to mine for the next 10 years, whether that's super types like legendary or subtypes like arcane um, or flip cards, which eventually became double face cards. Kanigawa originates a lot of interesting ideas. Okay, um, that's my little historical aside on Opal Eye. I also think card wise, this card is really cool. So it's a um, just to recap, it's a three mana, one four that blocks a two five. Uh, and that can redirect damage onto himself and then prevent some of that damage. And I think you put all of that together and this thing really holds down the fort. Um, Three mana two five is a super respectable blocker. Um, The ability to move the damage around makes combat math hard for your opponent. And I love cards that make combat math hard for your opponent. Oh, and one other thing to say about that is I I think there's something very clever in that um, before this, as I said, all creatures with defender and magic were walls. And so uh, sort of flavor-wise... They had to be walls. They had to look like walls. Whereas this is a defensive creature that is emphatically not a wall. It's a you know thing with two legs that walks around. And I think there's a very clever bit of design going on there to show you, oh, here's what we gained by creating this as a keyworded ability. And it fits flavor-wise because Yojimbo means bodyguard. And so Opalai, of course, doesn't go out on the offensive because his job is to protect Konda. So anyway, I've got actually even more to say about this card, but I feel like I should give you a chance <laughs> to jump in here, Connor.
1: I really like Opalai. I mean, there's... Honestly, there's just a lot of text on this card compared to, you know, so many other Kamigawa cards. It's like but a modern card. It is. It's like, like a 2022 card. Would, card. <laughs> yeah, it's like a card you would see today where there's like three separate sort of chunks of, of text to be thinking about and mechanics that, that Opal Eye has. I really like that this is the first Defender card in magic and the first one that we're talking about here because it just feels like such such a perfect fit that Obelai is this this bodyguard to this tremendously important figure Kanda uh that he does his job well and you know is is taking all the damage that's that's coming at you and like the kind of quintessential defender i like that he has this ability that you can sink your mana into he can prevent damage to himself not a not a great raid but you know it gives you a way to to spend mana later on in the game. And yeah, there's just like a lot of kind of complexity and interest on opali that we haven't seen on most other cards in the block.
0: Yeah, and I think the fact that the uh, prevention is expensive is kind of fine cuz I think even without the prevention, at least in our cube, this might make it on its own. Like that tap ability I think is quite powerful. You think about for example how poor most of the direct damage spells in the set are, right? Like the premier one Glacial Ray only deals 2 damage. Well, this basically blanks all of your opponent's glacial rays forever, right? You can just redirect that damage to Opalai, and he can soak it up because he's got this one four body. Uh, so yeah, I think uh, I think the fact that that last ability is kind of expensive. I think he's he's quite playable even with that.
1: Yeah, he kind of uh, blocks two creatures too because he he's a you know good blocker on his own, and then can also redirect damage from another attacking mm. creature to himself. So if he can survive damage from both of those creatures, he's sort of blocking both of them
0: he's also an interesting combo with a card we talked about just a few minutes ago heart of light Mm -hmm. uh in that you know heart of light prevents all damage being dealt to and dealt by and then opal eye can take all the damage so you know again i don't think that's good exactly but it is cute
1: yeah six mana combo there (laughs)
0: yeah that's right six mana two card combo that shuts down one source of damage every single
1: turn every turn So you said you have yet more to say.
0: Yeah, I do. So a couple couple more things to say about this. This doesn't command many EDH decks, which makes sense. Um, It only commands 40 decks. It appears in 1500, which for a creature with Defender isn't bad. Admittedly, almost all of those are various samurai themed decks, but that's fine. It's still pretty cool. And I think he also sees some marginal play with some of the defender banty bant uh, defender tribal creatures. In terms of running this guy as your commander, uh, basically all the ideas I saw were like these kind of mega mega pillow fort decks, where you like put pariah on this guy or dark steel plate or protection cards or the card bubble matrix, which is not a card I'd ever seen before. It's a weather like card that just prevents all damage that would be dealt to creatures. Uh, so basically, you just stall and make yourself unkillable and then win with like. Felidar Sovereign or Approach of the Second Sun. Again, I don't think that's good, but it, it does sound pretty fun to me. It sounds like something I would enjoy doing.
1: Yeah, I, I love that kind of not really playing magic Magic deck.
0: <laughs> so, yeah, I, I feel bad for our drafters because we both really like the style of oh, not no. playing magic, magic. We're trying to enable that. Uh, something I like about Conda is he has three things. He has a couple of Hatamoto, which uh, apparently means a high-ranking samurai in the direct service of the Shogunate. And champions, he's got Opalai, who's his Yojimbo, and then he's got one Konda's banner, and I don't know why that just tickles me. The Konda has like three things. He's got it all. Um Yeah, he's got it all. I guess. And then he also has uh, a Yojimbo means a bodyguard, as we said. That's also the name of a really good movie. It's like a good samurai movie from the '60s that inspired a really good western called A Fistful of Dollars. So, you know, I don't, I don't know if there's any callback to this, but I just wanted to mention
1: that I like that movie, Connor. Okay opal eyes really bringing the the value here yeah he is um
0: so this is an auto include for me as you may be able to tell i'm just gushing about this card so it's an auto include 1x for me
1: yeah i've got him at playable but i'd go up to auto include i don't think we're cutting him
0: thank you thank you connor
1: okay another exciting one here we've got oyobi who split the heavens six w for a three six legendary spirit with flying Whenever you play a spirit or arcane spell, put a 3-3 white spirit creature token with flying into play. If we were ranking sets based on the names, just the names of legendary creatures in those sets, I think Kamigawa <laughs> would have to win every time. Oyobi, who oh, split man. the heavens, is just such a cool name. Um, and I think Oyobi also has one of the most like impactful spirit craft abilities in the whole block. Like getting a 3-3 spirit with flying off of any spirit or arcane spell that you play is so much more than I think pretty much any other spirit craft trigger that we have seen or will see.
0: Yeah, I went back and looked in Scryfall and I think this is the best spirit craft trigger in the whole block. Like there's some that sort of on paper might be better. Like for example, Sire of the Storm who just draws a card. So it's like, well, that gets you a card. This gets you just a a token. But honestly, a 3-3 flyer is just better than most most cards you're going to have in your deck. It's better than most things you'll draw. Yeah. So like this, this card's kind of funny where if you don't trigger it, I think it's pretty bad. Like a three, six flyer for seven, even in this set is, is not good. But as soon as you trigger it even once, now you're talking about a six, nine flyer for seven, which is just like a sort of insane rate for Kamigawa. And then if you trigger it twice, like that's just it, the game is over. So I I think this card is like really good. Maybe even, like I, I wonder if it would border on oppressive, honestly. Or like, if your opponent has this and you don't answer it within a turn or two, the game is just over, and that's in a pretty brutal way.
1: Yeah, I, I'm kind of okay with that though because it, you know, it is a seven mana creature. Yeah. Uh, if if the spirit craft ability is not triggering, then its its impact is somewhat limited. Um, so I'm kind of fine with, like, the potential for this to just be completely game-ending because it's just a potential.
0: Yeah, and it does end the game, which is a nice thing. Like, one of the challenges in <laughs> this is format nice is there's thing. a lot of board stalls. And a lot of times those board stalls get broken by, like, dumb 4-mana creatures, like Maloku, 4- and 5-mana creatures, like Maloku or Kodama, some of the Kodamas. Those can feel a little unfair. I think the game being broken by a 7-mana thing and you just winning... That seems kind of fine. You you know, you earned it. You got to seven mana and then cast one or two things. Your opponent let it stick for a turn or two, and then you played some our spirit and arcane spells. That seems fair. Yeah, it seems totally reasonable. I also like it's pretty splashable. You know, six and a W. This can go into a green black spirits deck or a green spirits deck or what. Like this can slot into a lot of places. It can be a finisher for a blue, like arcane spell deck.
1: Yeah. Yeah. The more we talk about her, the more I like her.
0: Yeah. I also really like her art. It's it's like, I like it. I like all the wacky spirit art. I kind of like that this one isn't as wacky. It's still pretty weird when you look at it. Like her body is just sort of a trunk of tentacles or something, but it's not, it's more, it's a little more traditional, but it still looks like a kind of crazy Kamigawa spirit. So I, I like that too.
1: Yeah. I, I like that kind of unlike Moonlit Strider or Kami of the Honored Dead, like there's, there's identifiable features here. You know, this is a huge bird spirit there's there's weirdness but there's something to kind of latch on to
0: yeah the one kind of miss here might be that i'm kind of surprised we don't see any of her token uh spirits in the art like there's some birds flying around her but those are not three threes those just Mm -hmm. look like seagulls um so i don't know if that's quite a miss but it would have been kind of nice i think to see a little more of a nod at the idea that she's summoning other spirits yeah auto include i think so just one I oh, definitely just one. Yeah. I'm a little worried even about one, honestly. I could be getting being too scared here because it is seven mana, but I don't know. This might be like the best seven mana thing we've put in the cube.
1: Yeah, that's not
0: saying much in can we Golf. Yeah, you got me there. Well, and I don't think it's less unfair than say, Maloku, who costs a lot less. So I think it's fine. Also in EDH, like if you have a slow deck that includes a lot of spirits, a lot of those don't seem to include Oyobi and I don't know why. Go Go put Oyobi in there. It's not good, but it's cool. I know, it's, it's a spirit. Just put it in. Yeah, yeah. All right, let's talk about Patron of the Kitsune. 4-WW-56, Legendary Spirit, Fox Offering. If you don't know what the offering mechanic is, I'll forgive you because it's only on five cards, only in the set. 4-WW-56, Fox Offering. You may play this card anytime you can play an instant by sacrificing a fox and paying the difference in mana cost between this and the sacrificed fox mana cost includes color and then whenever a creature attacks you may gain one life so this is a weird uh weird mechanic it's basically emerge but much more limited and narrow than emerge um and i think that's the reason why no one really remembers any of these cards it doesn't help that the tribes these attach to are pretty weird so there's Mm -hmm. one of these in each color the black one i believe attaches to rats it's patron of the nizumi the green one attaches to uh, snakes, and I don't actually know what are the red one and the blue one.
1: The blue one is Moonfolk, which is definitely a niche <laughs> creature type. Uh, the red one is Goblin, so that's the only one that's like a relevant tribe. Then, well, I mean, people like rats. Okay, but
0: fox is not. Uh, yeah, fox not, super not a mainstream big mainstream tribe. <laughs> okay uh this card i really want it to be good uh partially because it's a weird kamigawa effect partially because the art here is super interesting and strange it's like a it's not that much it's not that fox like it's like a giant like eight armed white like furry creature with black hands it's pretty creepy i recommend looking it up there's something cool about like flashing in a five six and blocking and maybe like got gotcha in your opponent but just, I've played with this a few times and it's just never good. Like there's not that many foxes running around. The only one that I really love is um, Kitsune Blademaster, who honestly is good enough that I don't really want to sacrifice this. And then once you get it, it's just like, it's just a 5-6, which, you know, it's fine, but it's not getting any, it's not really like turning the game single-handedly. I don't know. This is just not a super good card for me, unfortunately, even though I really like it.
1: Yeah, well, I mean, it's it's a 5-6 with a little bit of upside. You do gain a life every time a creature attacks. So that's, you know, that's something. Yeah, but to me, that's, that's like a quadrant test
0: failure of like, if you're behind, I don't think it's quite enough life gain to save you and your opponent can play around it. It doesn't help you win the game if you're ahead and it's not really going to like break parity. And so like, I don't like in what circumstances is this super good? I, like maybe you power it out on turn two. 3 or 4 and you get a 5. Six. I don't know. It's it's hard to see when this card will do what it needs to.
1: I don't know if it's ever super good, but I feel like just having a 5 6, especially if you can get it out before turn 6, like that is pretty good in Kamigawa, right? Like there are not all that many answers to it and your opponent's going to have a pretty hard time I think dealing with or addressing a 5 6. And then the life gain, you know, I think in more modern magic there are a lot of, you know, a lot of Lands will just come into play tapped and give you one life here, one life there. There's a lot of kind of minor life gain. There isn't that much of that back in Kamikawa. And I think getting that little bit of an edge could sometimes make the difference between winning and losing. And I, I think just like getting the 5-6 out early is... Kind of worth something.
0: I I guess so. One thing I do like is, you know, damage on the stack. We haven't said that yet this episode, but, you know, in our cube, we play with damage on the stack, which means that at the end of combat, all the creature's damage goes on the stack and then it's all resolved um, rather than just happening instantly, Uh, which means, for example, you could like put your fox's damage on the stack and then flash in your patron of the kitsune and eat the fox, but the fox still gets steel damage. That's kind of cute, I guess. Yeah, makes it marginally better. Yeah, yeah, marginally better is kind of... This is definitely a card of small edges. Um, It's kind of a pity these don't just have flash independent of the offering thing. Like, if this just had flash and then the offering thing was, like, a bonus, I think I'd like a little more, as it is. eh. Yeah. Otherwise, it's just a six mana five six with a marginal ability, which is, like... It's kind of, like, a little better than Vizardrix, maybe. Like, it's just not a super compelling card.
1: Yeah. Okay, where do we land on it, then? It sounds... It sounds like you're not super sure about having it in. I have it as a
0: meh 1X just because I think it could make it, but I, I, I struggle to see it really having any impact in, in most games. Okay.
1: I had it as an auto-include, but I think that's too much. Wow. I want to I have some patron in the cube. Maybe that's the patron fair. of the kitsune is not the right one because I think we're going to end up probably with fewer than 20 foxes In the cube, which makes this Fox offering pretty limited in usefulness. I guess meh. Meh seems okay to me, as long as it's staying in for now. Okay. Yeah, I'm fine with a meh 1X. Okay. That works. I wish I'd thought before, maybe before the blue
0: episode, I'll look into it. But I'm curious what the flavor of these patrons is. Like... Are the, are the uh, foxes who are getting sacrificed to this, are they like, you know, disloyal to the mortal realm and they're kind of serving the spirit cause? Or does this patron decide to consume a fox on its own? The art of a few of the others, like, for example, the Aki shows like a tied up captive that the patron is going to eat. So I think the idea is that the mortals, some mortals are still like working with these pretty evil kami.
1: Or maybe they're trying to uh, mollify them.
0: Yeah, like a King Kong kind of kind of right, deal.
1: Right. Hmm. Patron of the Kitsune kind of has a King Kong vibe. He definitely has a King. You're right.
0: He's like a King Kong Machomp monster. <laughs> I love that.
1: All right. Meh 1X. Okay. Let's move on to a card I think we'll have a lot less to say about. Scour. Two WW for an instant. Exile target enchantment. Search its controller's graveyard hand and library for all cards with the same name as that enchantment and exile them that player then shuffles their library. I, I really hope that our listeners didn't think that we would get through all the white cards in Betrayers of Kamigawa without seeing some extreme enchantment hate. And Scour is about as extreme <laughs> as enchantment hate gets. I'm sort of f- fine with this card in theory, and I kind of like its art, which is just this weird swirl of color. But as with so many of the white cards we talked about in Champions of Kamigawa, there's just no need for this much hating on enchantments.
0: Yeah, it's a it's a real theme for white of this era. Like I haven't really looked at it in Mirrodin, but I know in Onslaught there's just an inordinate amount of white enchantment hate, and similarly in this set they just like I think Wizards basically took uh, disenchant away from white and said no. Green gets the good toy now of destroying artifacts and enchantments. You just get enchantments, but white to make it up for you you're going to get to destroy a lot of enchantments like every set you're going to get multiple tech cards just for enchantments and i i don't know that's actually all i can say about this card i agree i like the art by Atoku here and other than that like this is just an insta cut i actually didn't even research it because i just i don't care i don't care about this card
1: <laughs> all right let's
0: uh let's cut it i know that's not great journalism <laughs> but just get kept I'd be bothered. Yeah, I think it's
1: forgivable for Scour.
0: Wait, no, I have one more thing to say about uh, Scour, which is we talked about it the last time Itoku's art showed up earlier in the block, but Itoku did some amazing art for like two years in Magic, like Champions and Ravnica, and then stopped. And I still believe the reason is that a lot of his art got put on these garbage cards. Like he's just turning in this amazing art and then it's on these cards no one could care about. Boo. All right, Shining Shoal, XWW. Instant Arcane. You may exile a white card with mana value X from your hand rather than pay this spell's mana cost. The next X damage that a source of your choice would deal to you and or creatures you control this turn is dealt to any target instead. Okay, Uh, first thing about this, the fish are back. There's a lot of champion spirit cards that have mysterious fish in them, and I'm glad that we are not done with weird fish art. The card itself... Super hard to evaluate. That's true of all of these shoals. It's true of a lot of arcane things. Um, And so I kind of had to sit down and just game it out. So my 5-5 blocks your 5-5, just to make the math easy. I exile a five mana value spell from my hand. So I kill one of your creatures with that um, and save my creature who then kills your creature. So essentially I've spent like two cards, the shoal and the card I exiled, I saved one of my creatures and I killed two of yours. So that's like a 2.1 for one, something like that. Like it's not exactly, or 2.1 for two. It's not exactly Uh a two for one. It's a little better than a two for two. Like I think that's to me, all of that complexity adds up to kind of a meh in a hard to understand card. Like the upside, the best versions of playing this are like really good. They're blowouts. Then I think there's a lot of situations in which this like barely matters. So all in all, tough to evaluate, but I think I like it better than most of the other shoals, and I don't think most of the shoals are very good, particularly in our environment.
1: Yeah, it's you're definitely right that it's hard to like say how good this might be. Like it could be used to just end the game if you redirect the damage from your own face to your opponent's face in like the perfect situation. Uh it could lead to some really like favorable combat situations for you, but it's it's hard to say how often that's really going to come up. And also how often you're going to have the right amount of mana or the white card with the right mana cost in your hand to be able to exile for Shining Shoal to redirect the amount of damage that you want to redirect. So there's a lot of a lot of ifs with this card that make it hard to say how often it's actually going to matter.
0: Yeah, it really feels like a card that's just going to rot in your hand a lot of the time, which is a pretty big demerit. Like I can imagine a lot of games where this never gets cast because you're just hoping for a situation where this will actually work and it never does.
1: Yeah, and like you contrast it to like March of Otherworldly Light in Neon Dynasty, like sort of a, a modern, more modern version of Shining Shoal, where rather than redirecting damage, you're just exiling something. Like that's a card that you can use at all kinds of times and that's going to be generally relevant uh where shining shoal yeah i think a lot of a lot of the time you're just sort of like getting closer and closer to death waiting for the right moment to use shining shoal and it's just not happening i do really appreciate that the shoal of fish in this art is protecting uh, the white zubera <laughs> <I've checked laughs> I, think, I think i think we have to I have to call that out Um, so that's, that's a plus for me. Yeah.
0: Um, yeah, that's a, that's a plus. It's definitely a minor plus, but there is, there is a plus there. A couple other things that jump out about this. So something you said about like nowadays, like March of Otherworldly Light, white just gets to like exile a threat in this case. But back then, like we have this weird convoluted damage prevention going on. Like, I don't know if you all have noticed, but over the course of this review, I think we've already talked about at least four white cards that basically redirect or prevent damage. Like we're in this kind of weird lull in champions where white is not really allowed to do anything interesting. Like in two more cards, we're going to have another damage prevention creature. Um, There's just like this paucity of white design space here where there's no Oblivion Ring effect. You know, we don't get swords to plowshare. We don't get good white removal. They haven't come up with any of the modern technology that lets white get card advantage. There's not that many great creatures because creatures are kind of at a low ebb in this set. So like just white doesn't really have... A particularly great or interesting identity there's just so many cards that just prevent damage or gain life
1: yeah yeah and it's it's all so reactive you know there there just aren't that many tools that let you get ahead it's just waiting for your opponent to to do something and then pulling a minor trick on them that may may or may not actually help you very much
0: yeah, 100%. Reactive is the right word. Like reactive rather than proactive characterizes just a ton of the white cards uh, that we talked about today. And I think it is a real design problem. It, it Like in a color that's kind of the best, meant to be the best aggro color alongside red, it's really awkward how little pro, how few things there are that let you proactively like sweep a blocker out of the way or manage a difficult threat in order to get through and close out the game. Yeah. Uh, one of the other things I notice about this is like, we're in a really cycle heavy period of magic design like r and i think got really excited about the idea of cycles and i remember being really excited by cycles of like oh there's five shoals that's cool there's five genjus that's cool but when you look at this set like there's 30 white cards there's 30 cards in each color i believe each of those each color has five of those dedicated to a cycle we have the like key counter cycle we have the genju cycle we have the uh, uh shoal cycle of course and then, uh, later on, we've got one more cycle. Where did it we've go? Oh, and the patron cycle. Also. Oh, and the Baku cycle. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. So we've got patrons, Bakus, Shoals, uh, Genjus and key counter creatures. And I think there's a reason they lean less heavily on that today, which is it really constrains your design space. It means that like, for example, white is priced into having five of its cards have to meet the requirements of the cycle in a way that white's game design at the time just wasn't capable of doing like there wasn't a particularly interesting white effect for example here maybe or maybe you think this is interesting but like i think this is a general problem of like being too obsessed with cycles led to some sort of stiff awkward design where a lot of the set is just clogged up with filling out cycles
1: yeah totally fair okay so how do you rate this connor (laughs) so i i have it as playable but i feel i feel like it's right in between meh and playable for me like when it works i think it really works and then Maybe 70% of the time, it just does nothing. So, meh is probably right. Yeah, man, playable. I was kind of on the
0: fence there. I mean, it could even be an instacut. Who knows? I do feel like we need some shoal in here. It's like a big part of the block in my memory. And this is, I think, one of the better ones. I think the red one is also okay. But, like, blue, green pretty much lock you into 2 for one in yourself. Like, green especially is just terrible in the context of our cube. So, I kind of want to go generous on this one just so
1: we hopefully get at least one shoal in the final cube. Okay, should we go with playable 1x for now? Yeah. And we'll yeah, see sure. if it is playable. Okay, next up we have Silverstorm Samurai. 4-WW for a 3-3 Fox Samurai with Flash and Bushida 1. That's it. Um, <laughs> Flash is not worth that much mana to me. That's that's pretty much all I've got on on these Samurai. Kind of right there with you. I saw someone on Gatherer, one of the few
0: Gatherer comments this card has earned, call this Desperate Limited Filler. And that, that sounds about right. Oh
1: man, <laughs> that, that is right.
0: Um, I also think the art here is pretty poor. The composition is really cluttered and confusing. Like we've got two figures, the like relative sizing of them doesn't make a whole lot of sense. We've got some kind of giant rock in the background that just makes it extra busy. I don't know,
1: just like this, this card is a kind of fail for me at every level. Yeah, I, I generally have a, a soft spot for... This artist's work, Michael Suffin, Uh, like I I like his kind of intricate style, high contrast sort of work. This one does not work for me. Like it's it's really uh zoomed in on the samurai, so that you can't really see anything interesting about them. There's two samurai, and the one in the back is posed in a super awkward way. The one in the front looks cool, but you can't see anything about her, just like a couple of hands in the face. Yeah, just kind of an awkward, awkward card all around. Mm -hmm.
0: is this just an insta cut for you uh it is for me let's go to split tail miko one and a w for a one one fox cleric white tap prevent the next two damage that would be dealt to target creature or player this turn Okay, this is an example of the phenomena we already talked about. White's color pie just feels really diminished in this era, so there's a lot of things that just uh, prevent and redirect and manage damage and life total. That said, I generally kind of like this kind of damage prevention on a stick, particularly with two. I think it can kind of mess up combat math and... Make things a little difficult for your opponent. There's not a lot of these creatures in the history of magic that prevent two damage instead of one. I also like the art. It's kind of goofy. <laughs> like his ears are extra big. Even for Katsune, they're like 50% bigger than uh, his or her head. And I like kind of how dark it is. Uh, it's like a very dark figure in a very white background. And it's sort of unusual for a white card in that sense. So uh, to me, this is a meh. If you say you want to cut it and you're firm on it, I'm fine with that too. I, I don't love it, but I think it's I think it's okay.
1: Yeah, I like the art. I don't like that this is probably the 7th or 8th card we've looked at that prevents damage <laughs> or redirects damage. I kind of want to just cut it.
0: But well, we already have cut a lot of them though, right? So the effect on the on the player of the cube will be there's just one or two damage prevention effects, right?
1: Yeah. Yeah, that's true. I mean, if you if you really like this this fox, we can we can Well, oh, I don't right don't but don't say I really like it. That's that's not true, Connor. Okay, if you kind of like this fox, we can keep one <laughs> copy for now. It's it's another fox to sacrifice to the patron.
0: Yeah, see, that's good enough in its own. Just something the patron can devour. Yes. And you know, one, you're okay with them devouring because, like, who cares if this thing dies?
1: Yes. All right, meh, one x, meh, one x. Okay, we have a another creature that I would definitely be okay uh, with it dying. Takano's cavalry, three w for a one one human samurai archer with bushido one and it can tap to deal one damage to target attacking or blocking spirit there was one comment on gatherer uh where this card has a 0.8 star rating that i thought really said it all to have a good laugh that's all this is good for the flavor text says at night he perfected his aim shooting spider webs by starlight and then the gatherer commenter says i wonder how skillful his aim was before he practiced Something like three tap to Kano's Cavalry deals one damage to target attacking or blocking Avon trooper. (laughs) Stay in the night so nobody has to see you again. (laughs) Oh gosh, that's harsh. (laughs) This is just a terrible, terrible card.
0: Yeah, it really is. You know, if you just think of like your basic Tim, right? Your basic Tim is three mana for a 1-1. So this is already failing the test. It's a four mana 1-1. Bushido one here is kind of like this text doesn't even need to exist because you're not blocking with your Tim anyway, at least not if it's a two, two or a one, one. So like the Bushido might as well not be here. And then it's like seven levels of conditional. Like it, you can only do it on attackers or blockers, which, okay, that's pretty normal for white, but still, and then you can only do it to spirits So this is just, this card is just the worst. Yeah, Uh, Which is a pity because I think the art is cool here. I like that it shows like a less stereotyped side of samurai. Like we always think of them with their swords. But if you look at history, a lot of samurai uh, skill was in uh, horsemanship and uh, archery. So I think that's kind of cool that it shows that. And I actually think that flavor text about shooting spider webs is pretty cool. You can imagine that in a movie montage or whatever, but just the card does not live up to that, unfortunately. Yeah,
1: it, in the movie, it, it would not lead to uh, a 1-1 one, one that taps to deal one damage to target attacking or blocking spirit. I just I try to think of like the best case scenario for this card. And if you think about the cavalry blocking an attacking spirit, it gets a Bushido bonus, and so now it's a 2-2, and then it can tap to deal one more damage. Then you're looking at a, a four mana creature that can deal three damage while blocking certain types
0: of creatures yeah it's like a four mana three two only on defense against spirits
1: yes that uh, that that right there sums (laughs) sums it all up this is yeah it's so bad why is
0: it a four couldn't this be three mana and still be marginal i think it could be two mana even yeah yeah i could see like ww or maybe like Make it two mana and make it an 0-1 in that case or something? Yeah,
1: something like that. And just, you know, have this kind of cheap, specialized spirit blocker. But at four mana, it's just unplayable.
0: Yeah, and almost all the spirits, there's not a lot of X1 spirits, too. So this can't even gun down them. And of course, if there are, they're just not going to attack or block when the cavalry's out. Right. Oh, boy. Instacut? Very easy Instacut. Okay, let's go to a less easy insta-cut. No spoilers. Tallow Wisp, one and a W for a one, three spirit. Whenever you play a spirit or a cane spell, you may search your library for an enchant creature aura card. Reveal it and put it into your hand. If you do, shuffle. So I have this in my notes as the coolest insta-cut. <laughs> um, I don't <laughs> I think this that. really has, thank you. I don't think this really has any place like in the cube because auras in this set are kind of universally not good. But it's just such a cool, unique card. Like I want, I want to build a sixty-card deck around this. I want this to be better in EDH than it is, due to the nature of EDH as a singleton format, where uh, nothing matters unless it uh, wins the game or generates card advantage. Uh, but like this, this card does cool things. It does cool things with cards like Everstrike from uh, I think it's uh, Eventide, which is a, a like a Orzov creature that loves to wear auras, it's great with Auratog, which is who's an Atog who likes to eat enchantments. It's great with an Enchantress deck. Like it does all kinds of cool things. It just ah, doesn't have a space in our cube, even though it's like super cool card.
1: Yeah, i I really like it, and i I looked at this card and I thought, didn't we talk about this like Wisp working with some other aura in champions? I couldn't figure out what it might have been, and the more I thought about it, the more I realized there's just nothing. There are no enchant creature cards within Kamigawa that you would really want to get with tell even when you trigger it.
0: Yeah, it's like you get Cage of Hands, you know, the marginal um, pacifism effect. You could get what was today's marginal pacifism effect It's already left my brain, Heart of Light. Yeah. You could get Indomitable Will.
1: Like, there are a few auras, but just none of them are that good. Yeah, there just isn't much payoff for doing the work of having both having the tallow wisp and then triggering its spirit craft. Yeah.
0: Yeah, it does ask you to put in some work. Yeah, it's it's hard to know exactly what deck this would be good in, but it just feels like there's got to be a deck somewhere out there that this is really unique and special in. Like this is just such a unique effect. Yeah. I also like the uh the art here quite a bit. Like the tallow wisp is some kind of orange. I guess it's meant to be like the essence of a candle flame. Art or uh, like spirit that's uh, just sort of floating around in the art. And it has this cute little flavor text isolated on its little candle wick. The kami never heard of the crime that drove its comrades to war. And I think that's just kind of cute that this, uh, this spirit is out there living a peaceful life. Uh, unlike all the other spirits. Cause it's just so isolated. It's just living a little charming little hermit life. It's just trying to get some enchant creature cards. Mm-hmm. Uh, I do think it's an Insta cut, unfortunately, even though I, I really like it.
1: I have to agree.
0: All right, I might buy like 14 copies in foil though because I, I really like it. It is pretty.
1: Okay, uh, next is a card that I think I actually have in foil. Tarashi's Grasp, 2W for a sorcery arcane. Destroy target artifact or enchantment. You gain life equal to its converted mana cost. So there's nothing exciting about this card. <laughs> I guess it's arcane so you can splice things onto it and it, it would trigger your tallowisp. But as far as I can tell, this is White's only artifact hate in the entire block. So I kind of feel like we might want to keep it around.
0: Oh, I don't know if I can go there, Connor. <laughs> Sorry, you just, hate I'm it. Just what? in shock. Uh, to me, this this card. It might be that I'm just judging this by an unfair barometer. But to me, I just look at this and I go, "Can't this at least be an instant or exile the thing, or just give me something like three mana for a sorcery that gets rid of artifacts or enchantments?" Is just so far below raid. And the life gain is not making up for that to me. But that is something, Austin. It does give you something.
1: Well, I know, but but not not something
0: I care about. How about give me some Scry 2 or something and we
1: can talk about it. Yeah. I'm not saying it's a a good card. I just kind of wonder if White wants it in the cube.
0: So what are the artifacts and enchantments
1: we're trying to deal with here? That's a great question. The enchantments. (laughs) White has enough other enchantment answers. The artifacts, I mean, there's nothing... Game ending. I think probably, you know, the, the one artifact that, of course, jumps to mind as being overwhelmingly strong, Izumi's always Jite, but I suspect we will not ultimately include that in the cube. You know, there's some other equipment that you want to get rid of. There's... Just... I think some other artifacts. Wait. <laughs> You'd want to hit Orochi Hatchery, maybe.
0: Yeah, that's that's a blow. Well, although even then, the mana value of Orochi Hatchery is zero, <laughs> <laughs> but you're still getting rid of it. Uh, boy, I just I don't think there's a need for this. Like, this is a bad sideboard card, but I don't think it has anything in, you need to. Even enchantments, like what are the enchantments you must remove? Like Genju of the Realm, but like the haunt, like the Honden aren't really must kill permanents. Um, there aren't many must
1: kill permanents in Camigola.
0: Day of Death. Well, they are, there are, but they're all creatures, right? Like uh the dragons are must right. kill permanents. Oyobi, who we just talked about, is a must kill permanent, but like this thing ain't.
1: Yeah, I mean, I guess as I as I'm looking through the artifacts, there's not too. I are mean, you, are you looking at the cube list and trying to find one that's worth? Remembering? Yeah, yeah, maybe <laughs> there's you know there's some equipment that you definitely want to get rid of if you could, like Tatsumasa the dragon's fang um mm-hmm. but yeah i guess honestly none of these really look like they need to be dealt with so maybe it is yeah, okay like, if oh I, just...
0: this is the only answer i have to strung kodo
1: so uh, can white just not deal with artifacts in the cube i guess that's fine i mean
0: yeah i kind of feel like it can is there there's no other way in the whole block for white to deal with an artifact
1: i i don't think so i think this is Aww. it i mean i'm okay with maybe one of these at a meh <laughs> Okay. Yeah. Why don't we just do one X meh? You can have it as your 23rd pick sideboard (laughs) card.
0: One more weird thing to say about this card is there's three cards in the block named after Tarashi. Tarashi's Grasp, Tarashi's Verdict, and then last in Champions, there is Tarashi's Cry. Something that's really strange though, is we never see Tarashi. We just see the effects of Tarashi. And so here's what an ancient Wizards article has to say about that. One of the mightier Kami is Tarashi, not appearing directly on a magic card, uh, as an aside that feels almost apologetic or defensive, but referred to by three arcane spells. Tarashi is the Kami of the sun, a strong, wide-aligned force on the side of the immortal spirits. Check out how Tarashi slaps around the mortals and their stuff. On these three white cards. Um, <laughs> I really like that copy because this card is marginal. Tarashi's cry just taps creatures. And we're about to talk about the final one, which is also not game breaking. And so like Tarashi is not really slapping around the mortals. He's like destroying their swords and <laughs> tapping them. Like Tarashi doesn't seem like he's, uh, for being an all power, a karma too powerful to appear in the set, I, I'm not too impressed by the effects of his uh, his magic. I,
1: I feel like Tarashi is just kind of annoying, <laughs> powerful. Yeah, exactly. It's just sort of a, a minor inconvenience.
0: You're like, oh no, my grandpa gave me that uh, whatever this. What is this guy yeah, holding? What is by that? the way,
1: sort of an. It's axe, not like a shield. Axe tombstone.
0: This is like way too big. I don't know. It's what is he holding? Very strange. It's
1: not going to be holding it for long. Tarashi. That's right. Yeah, it.
0: Tarashi doesn't like it. It's going away.
1: Okay, now 1x, that seems fine.
0: Yeah, sure. Okay, let's go to the final Tarashi card in the history of Magic. Tarashi's Verdict, 1W, Instant Arcane, Destroy Target Attacking Creature with Power 3 or Less. Oh man, I am not impressed by this card. Uh, One of the really weird things in Kamigawa is how conservative they are on rate. So uh, I don't think we've mentioned it yet this episode, but Kemigawa in general is a very low power block. And the main reason is that Mirrodin was an exceptionally high power block. It kind of broke type two and a couple other formats um, and led to a lot of backlash, a lot of player frustration, and a lot of people just quitting the game. And so... Wizards got scared and basically powered down Kamigawa across the board, except for a few cards they missed like Jite, uh, in order to try to bring those players back. One of the odd things, though, is that seems to apply to cards where that maybe doesn't need to be true. So it makes sense, for example, that they didn't allow the threats in this uh, set to be too good and they didn't allow for synergies that are too powerful. But it's actually pretty hard to make a broken removal spell like... Apart from maybe Thought Seize or Path to Exile in their original standard environments, I can't think of a kind of removal, like threat management spell that actually has had a super bad effect on the format. And so I don't really get why they're so gun shy. Like to me, this card could be viable, but not overpowered in any of these ways. It could cost one mana instead of two. It could hit attackers or blockers. It could lose the three power or less claws. Like any of those things would be fine. As is, like I'm almost at Instacut. Like there's basically no removal in this set. And yet I still like, I don't think this is good enough. Like it only hits attackers and it costs two mana and it's
1: conditional. Like, come on. I mean, it is, it is bad compared to the removal that we're used to, especially nowadays in white, but within Kamigawa itself, I feel like white needs all the removal it can get. And Tarashi's verdict Uh there is the two mana sucks. The fact that it has to be an attacking creature sucks. The fact that it has to have power three or less sucks. But this does hit pretty, like basically 80% of the creatures in this block when they're attacking. Tarashi's verdict can completely remove them and that's Whoa, something that the monster math does it really <laughs> it 80 percent of creatures in this block have power three or less that's wow. not not counting a few things that like f- start out with less than three power and then flip into something a little bit stronger but yeah tarashi's verdict can deal with almost everything except the biggest threats and i feel like wow. that
0: let me do the math for this yeah, it's it viable in enough in our cube. You give me a whole new gloss on this card. I'm still not in love, but 80% is actually pretty good hit rate.
1: Yeah. I mean, yeah, what this, a weird set. This I'll- is a very like low power set not just in terms of the power level of the cards, but the like literal power stat of creatures is low. So Tarashi's verdict I think does more work, a lot more work here than it uh. would in a a wider setting
0: so i i think that's pretty persuasive i will say uh, the things you most want to remove this does not hit right like it's not going to take care of a dragon it's not going to take care of the big flyers like it's it's gonna you're gonna be a little bit bummed although actually i say it's not going to take care of the big flyers but this even kills oyobi which is uh, kind yeah, of wild it kills
1: oyobi it gets rid of uh, kitsune blademaster it you know it deals with a, a surprising number of things
0: huh all right i'm coming around so where do you rate it and how many do you think we need?
1: I have it at playable 2x. I had it
0: in Instacup, but I'm kind of persuaded. I kind of like your playable 2x.
1: Yeah, I, th- I think 2 is a is a reasonable number. You know, this definitely isn't going to break our little cube format. Uh, and it just gives a little bit more consolation to, to White in being able to actually deal with threats in a meaningful way instead of just moving damage around.
0: All right, I'm into it. Let's do it. All right. Tarashi got a card in the cube in the end.
1: Okay, this one I'm not, I'm not going to stand up for. This is Ward of Piety, 1W for a Aura Enchant Creature. Uh, you can pay 1W, and the next one damage that would be dealt to enchanted creature this turn is dealt to target creature or player instead. So this this card is exactly what I meant when I said that there's nothing good for Talawisp to tutor up. Like this this card could be interesting if it was maybe just an enchantment that let you spend like let you spend mana to just redirect damage between creatures however you want but this is an enchant creature that only lets you (laughs) redirect damage off of one creature onto other targets at a very high cost in mana i
0: I like that we we each have only two comments about this card and they're both pretty much the same one is the problem with tallowisp is infection garbage like this and then the other comment i have which i see you also have is what is going on with the foreshortening in
1: this art? Like the guy's <laughs> his hands, his hand looks like it's like two feet wide. Like, come on, it's gigantic. Like this, we've I think we've talked about a couple of cards where Greg and or Tim Hildebrandt seem to have just completely missed, and this this is a Tim <laughs> Hildebrandt hard miss. Uh, yeah, I'm sorry, Tim, but like this is
0: not how like Katsune anatomy works.
1: Or, or any anatomy. Yeah.
0: this There's insta-cut. just nothing to say in this one. Yeah. Easy insta cut. All right, let's talk about Wax Main Baku. Yet another cycle, the Bakus. 2W for a 2 2 spirit. Whenever you play a spirit or cane spell, you may put a key counter on Wax Main Baku. 1. Remove X key counters from Wax Main Baku. Tap X target creatures. I really love this cycle. Um, honestly, the main thing I love about this cycle is all of them have really strange arts. So they have four kind of betting on the baku, either animal-like or human-like uh, limbs. And then their their body is just like a a mass of something color appropriate. So in this case, uh, it's a wax mane baku. And so its body is made of kind of like these drippy tendrils of candle wax. Um, and something I noticed in this is that there's really a kind of candle lantern light theme throughout the white spirit cards in this block. We've got this, we've got Tallow Wisp, of course, just a couple of cards ago. Candles Glow, Lantern Kami, tons and tons of lanterns throughout all the sets. So I think from a art uh, perspective, this card is a home run and some of the other Baku were even better. Design wise, I think this card is decent almost. Like, okay, so it's basically Grey Ogre. <laughs>
1: Mm -hmm.
0: but I like the way that this accrues value that you can unload later on. And I think the value here is not the worst, like for one mana plus X, you can tap down X things and that's kind of a close out the game type maneuver. Uh, And so I think, you know, a gray ogre is never that great even in Kamigawa, but I think as bad gray ogres with good art go, this one's better than most.
1: Yeah, I think, that's all right. I, I love the Baku two. And I think this like this stat line, the three mana two two, is actually pretty reasonable compared to Baku in the other colors. <laughs> oh, no. Skull main Baku uh, uh in black is a five mana two one. Uh blade main Baku is a two mana one one. So like the gray ogre is, is not as bad as it seems here. And I think that the the key removal ability here where you're tapping down creatures is more relevant than most of the other Baku too. Like this could end the game for you by tapping down your opponent's board and swinging in yeah i think like wax main is probably the most relevant one in this cycle
0: yeah the fact that it's not timing dependent is helpful too right it's like you can just let this thing sit out there gradually picking up key counters here and there and then you know all of a sudden on like turn nine turn 10 it's like oh this has four counters on it that's actually kind of a game ending effect and i think that's uh that's pretty cool that's an interesting bit of design and it adds some kind of texture to the play. It, you know, it leaves your opponent in a position where they're like, okay, do I eventually have to deal with this Baku? Do I need to worry about this thing? Mm-hmm. It can also prevent your opponent's creatures from attacking. You know, it's got some of that flexibility where you can use it on offense to clear the way, but you can also use it on defense to tap down your opponent's creatures before combat. So, you know, I think this thing has more play to it than it looks. And yeah. I, I like those kind of cards that don't appear complicated from a rules perspective, but actually lead
1: to some interesting emerging gameplay. To me, that's like the best part of Magic. Absolutely. This is also the only Baku to have seen a reprint, so. When did this get a reprint? And Modern Masters 2015.
0: Huh. Interesting. Well yeah, that had kind of a spirit arcane theme, I think. Yeah, huh, cool. I can see it. So where uh rating wise I had this at a meh 2x.
1: Uh that is exactly where I landed. Boom, look at that. Easy. Love it. Okay, let's close out today's episode with a big legendary spirit. Yomiji who bars the way. 5-WW for a 4-4 Legendary Spirit. Whenever a Legendary Permanent other than Yomiji who bars the way is put into a graveyard for play, return that card to its owner's hand. I'll say for Yomiji, I, I love that we are ending this episode on a higher note than we usually do. <laughs> Most episodes we seem to end with a, a really lame or really weak or really dumb card. I don't think Yomiji is a bomb by any means, but Yomiji's name, Yomiji's art... Yomiji's flavor text are all ten out of ten for me. Power level, we'll we'll get to, but this this card just everything about it except the the stat line and what it actually does is just so badass to me.
0: Yeah, hundred percent. I like that this this card kind of tells or creates a story in and of itself, right? It's like he's this spirit who bars the way. It doesn't say what he bars the way to. You have to like think about it and go, oh, he bars the way to death, right? He like keeps this war going and forces all these things to return again and again and then um i don't think you read the flavor text right no i didn't yeah the flavor text like turns that up to 11 so it says as i died i rejoiced i would see my family again but then i woke up back on the battlefield back in kamigawa back in hell kenzo the hard-hearted which i think is great like one it references kenzo the hard-hearted who is the flip side of bushy tenderfoot who is the first flip card we ever reviewed so soft spot for that Um, I like the little inversion there where Kamigawa is hell. So he's not worried about going to hell after death. He's in hell now, which I think is a fun little bit. And I like the way the whole thing kind of ties together in a way that almost reminds me of one of those great classic D&D monsters where there's not a lot of detail, like the owlbear or something, but there's just enough that your brain starts spinning and like creating stories around it. Yeah, I agree. 10 out of 10, except maybe on playability. But in terms of art, design, unique effect, this is a
1: really cool card. Yeah. Absolutely. Now on playability, seven mana for a 4-4 is definitely a yikes. <laughs> it's a little rough. A little rough. And the effect here, um, we started out with a card, Day of Destiny, that was kind of unusually asymmetrical for the time, in that it gave an Anthem effect just to creatures you control. We're ending with Yomiji, whose effect is applies to all legendary permanents so just as a reminder what he does is whenever any legendary permanent other than him is put into a graveyard it goes back to its owner's hand so that applies to your opponent's legends too oh i totally missed i had my modern magic glasses on i totally missed that exactly so so yomiji like a seven mana four four with that ability just applying to your own board is already marginal at best i think <laughs> uh, the fact that it lets your opponent get for example their spirit dragons back after you kill them mm. uh is a real problem <laughs> oh
0: dear um hmm. yeah this card is uh like outside of our cube even i think i like this card a lot for like a lower powered commander environment and i'm surprised how little play it sees like it shows up in arvad the Curse decks and captain Cisei and Kethis from time to time but this is like a super unique effect. And notably, it doesn't say legendary creature. It says legendary permanent. So this works with lands. More importantly, it works with artifacts and with planeswalkers, which is a pretty amazing set of interactions. But that seven mana 4-4 four, four thing is just hard to get
1: away from. Yeah. And I mean, especially when you when you add planeswalkers into the mix and other, you know, there aren't that many non-creature legendary permanents in Kamigawa, but, you know, certainly plenty of them in yeah, Modern Magic. they are magic. good. <laughs> and they aren't good <laughs> right
0: except for jite
1: basically they're yeah <laughs> yeah
0: i guess this protects your hondens
1: <laughs> that's a great point got em. i want yomiji to work and i want there to be some super legend heavy deck where you've got yomiji and you've got day of destiny and you have other cards that care about legends that mm-hmm. you know yomiji's <laughs> symmetrical effect somehow works in your favor but it's it's really hard to imagine what that deck would be
0: yeah, I have this at an Instacut, but I see you have it at a more um, beautiful build-around rating. Um, I, yeah. And I, I like your build-around.
1: I Yeah, let's, I want to keep Yomiji in at build-around. I suspect, you know, he'll he'll get drafted. We'll play him <laughs> towards seven or eight someday. He'll lead to whoever played him just completely losing the game. Uh, and then we can kind <laughs> of... I,
0: yeah, I, I want to live in a world where Yomiji is good enough, you know?
1: Yeah. Let's give him a chance.
0: Well, that is it for today's episode. And unlike Yomiji, we will not bar the way for you to continue the rest of your day. Now that we've rendered our Tarashi's verdict on uh, each of these wonderful 15 white cards. Nice. (laughs) <laughs> thank you thank you uh, well that was really down to you connor uh thanks so much for listening today uh if you have any thoughts or memories to share about any of the cards we talked about today or any of the upcoming cards of betrayers of kamigawa please let us know uh we love comments on reddit you can email us you can comment on youtube any old way uh, we love hearing people's thoughts on the show or thoughts on the cards that we've talked about uh if you're not subscribed to the show consider subscribing and subscribe in your podcast app or on our youtube channel and follow the cube too if you want to see how it develops at clockspinning.com uh next episode we will be back to continue our seven mana enchantment review that's uh, been one of our favorite things we reviewed so far so i'm excited to get back to it should be good until then though i'm austin and i'm connor signing off